0: Try to remember the kind of September When life was slow and oh so mellow Try to remember the kind of September When grass was green and grain was yellow Try to remember the kind of September when you are a young and callow fellow. Try to remember, and if you remember, then follow, follow. Try to remember, when life was so tender That no one wept, except the willow Try to remember, when life was so tender That dreams were kept beside your pillow Try to remember when life was so tender That love was an ember about to below Try to remember, and if you remember Then follow, follow in december it's nice to remember although you know the snow will follow deep in december it's nice to remember without a hurt the heart is hollow deep It's nice to remember the fire of September that made you mellow. Deep in December,
1: Sunday, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. It's hard to believe 63 years ago that song was introduced to the world, and the man that was responsible for that song is on the show today. There's a new reimagining of the Fantastics that is now playing in Provincetown, New York, uh, Massachusetts. And when I announced that I was going to be going to Provincetown next month to do my own show, uh, Everyone start you have to see this production. And I reached out to Tom Jones and I asked if he would do the show today to talk about the history of the Fantastics and where we are today. And he said, yes. So Tom, it is such an honor to be able to sit down and chat with you today.
2: Well, thank you. It's a pleasure for me as well. So, um, now, so it, you- a, a Great, great opening. I love that recording. By Harry Belafonte, and it was the first recording ever made of the Fantastics, aside from the cast album. And he went on in his career to record it five more times. Eventually, with a young singer singing along with him, and so the try to remember is like bouncing off youth, as as you see it. So.
1: Have you figured out how many covers of that song there are?
2: I, I, I think everybody covered it. I mean, <laughs> those days, people really did that, you know. It didn't matter whether it was Barbara Streisand or Liza Minnelli or, uh, or Perry Como yeah. or, um, let me just, anybody. Placido Domingo, The Four Tops. <laughs> And everybody, yeah. Uh, everybody, uh, everybody wants to get into the acting.
1: <laughs> well, I know that you certainly wanted to get into the acting. We're gonna get there in a few moments, but do you remember the first time that you heard one of your songs played on the radio?
2: I honestly don't. <laughs> I'm sorry.
1: No, that's quite alright. I well, can
2: remember a little later on with the show. Uh, That song uh, recorded by Belafonte was very well received, but it wasn't a big major hit. And then like 10 months later, uh, Ed Ames recorded it. Uh, Ed Ed Ames of the Ames Brothers. And uh, that one became a a big hit, a great big hit. And that helped push the show uh, into the Winning as opposed to the losing category, you know, and uh, uh, but great. I can remember a few years later, Ed Ames did a from a show of ours called "I Do, I Do." Mm-hmm. He did a song called "My Cup Runneth
1: Over," one of my favorite songs of all time. Oh,
2: yeah, that's uh, great, thank you. And and um, I can remember that because I used to, at that point, go to the Virgin Islands. And like at a wonderful place called Caneal Bay, run by the Rockefellers, don't you know? And I lie on the beach and order my pina colada and turn on my little radio and they would be playing my cup of the And it was a great feeling to lie there and know that all oh, this is being paid for by somebody, you know, by, by the record.
1: You know, it's like that moment in A Star is Born with Judy Garland says that her big dream is to be heard on jukeboxes around the country. And there it is. It happened with you. Um, I ask you for a photograph of you around five years of age. I think you said you were probably seven here. Uh, this is with your sister, Beverly. Yes. And as you pointed out to me, you're the one wearing the hat.
2: It's one?
1: You said you were the one wearing the hat.
2: Yes, I, I was the one. And the tie. In the Do you remember ties? Oh yes, they, they things they used to tie were we, around your neck, you know. And uh, I, I couldn't remember how to tie one. Now for my life depended on it.
1: Well, Tom, the reason I asked for a photograph of you at this age is because, to me, that's when the dreams start happening. And I, in my research. Uh, I read that you just you you knew that you had to be somebody, and you were gravitating towards the spotlight at a very early age. Can you tell us all, for those who don't know, a little bit about how you first got started doing local theatrical productions?
2: Well, I, I really wouldn't say I was gravitating towards the spotlight. I was I had uh, in my when I was two, two and a half years old, I had a, and in the dust bowl, uh, and in the depression, I had uh, double pneumonia out there on the plains of uh, the panhandle of Texas, and uh, the, the, a lot of kids were dying from it, and, and the and the what made it worse was the the sandstorms, you know. You like you your lungs were filled up. And anyway, in this little as as it was at that time, a town called Lubbock nearby, they they took me in a hospital, two and a half years old. They cut me open, took out a rib, and then every day for three months they would come and like do a suction thing to take the stuff out of my lungs. So I had a very, very deeply embedded negative image of myself. Mm. And I found, as I got a little older and we started doing what they call play-like or plaque, plaque you're this and plaque I'm that, uh, I found that I had a mimetic gift. And then I could do it and... And not necessarily be in the spotlight, but be accepted,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and and even sometimes, if we're playing, playing games, uh, and I could I could be Superman and all the things I w- felt I wasn't, and uh, so my introduction into the theater was like um, a survival something, and then. Then it's infectious, and uh, the older I got, the more I got into it, and uh, uh, it was amazing, really, in a way, because I was a little town in West Texas, West Central Texas, and um, it was all cowboys and 4-H and whatever you know, and everybody was out cutting off bulls' testicles and things like that except me and i was i wore to high school if you can believe this i wore a sailor straw hat with a little flat brim you know mm-hmm. uh, and i uh a bow tie and i mean nobody in my town wore any kind of tie but uh a, a bow tie, really, that's whatever, what's going on there, you know, uh, and a bow tie, and I carried a cane, not for walking, but a little bamboo, like like um, Donald O'Connor would have, you know, or Judy Garland, or Mickey Rooney, and I signed all of my school papers, T. Collins Jones Esquire. <laughs> and I performed wherever I could. I, I just uh, I was addicted to it, and still am. I, I still am. I I go into waiting rooms now, at the hospital. I constantly, my whole life, it's going to different waiting rooms and hearing about different kinds of cancer that I got and things like that. But I sit in there and I start engaging the the. Poor fellow sufferers sitting in there waiting to be, to see to see a doctor. And then I start doing numbers from my new and final show, which is called Geezers. And uh, I get people laughing. And then sometimes if I have enough time before I'm called in, I can also get them to cry too. And uh, that exhilarates me beyond what I can explain.
1: Well, going back to when you were in school and you were, you created this, you essentially created uh, your own version of Tom Jones.
2: Yeah, well, we, I, I never saw a musical, for example, but even plays, we did do little plays, school plays, Six Who Pass While the Lentils Boiled, and uh, some kind of early version of Cats where we sat on a wall and we had strings for our tails. It was a huge hit, just like cats, you know. (laughs) Uh, And uh, and then in one really bizarre incident, there was a, a local community theater. And when I was like 15 years old or so, I played the stage manager in our town in an otherwise all adult company. Now you have to stop, think that that makes you think a little bit really about time and that it's just, it's weird, weird that it happened. And then finally, and the people I went to school with were tolerant. They they kind of knew I was crazy and everything, and they, they were used like armadillos and things you should get used to it, you know? And uh, But when I went to the University of Texas and to the drama department, I couldn't believe it. Everybody there was T. Collins Jones Esquire. <laughs> <laughs>
1: When did you first realize that you had a gift for writing?
2: Well, I, I never intended to be a writer. Uh, so uh, I, I started off as an actor and I I wasn't bad, but I was kind of limited to comedy roles in a way, and usually very old men. and. Um, Doing things like, oh, surely I got a ten, know enough to keep my hand dry, and so forth. But with a better uh, Elizabethan accent and that, uh, along with fellow dancer and much ado about nothing, uh, Jane Mansfield, who was I was doing that line with, and uh, uh, she she was there my last year, and I when I was in graduate school. And uh, our ships that pass in the night, I, I, I never had the idea who she was or, or anything. But um, anyway, I then I became a director. Uh, and I loved that so you get to tell people.
1: Well, just again, imagine if you had hooked yeah. up with Jane Mansfield instead of Harvey Schmidt. How different well, our world would be. <laughs>
2: uh, well, Harvey Schmidt linked up with jane mansfield
1: oh wow Harvey,
2: harvey schmidt was an art student and jane mansfield loved to pose nude so she was their their nude model and with her little baby daughter and she and her baby daughter would be there both nude and for the art students to think so he knew her quite and also harvey played for the um, modern dance, creative dance thing, you know, the artsy fartsy dance courses, and he it was great. But among them was uh, uh, Catherine uh, uh, Crosby, who later uh, became uh, Ben Crosby's Graham. wife. Yeah, Catherine uh, Graham. Graham Catherine. No, not Graham. Catherine yeah, something or other. But Graham uh, Catherine Graham was a uh, New York. No, Kevin oh. Grant. Grant, you're right. you well. Right. That's right. Absolutely, you got it. And uh, so, and, and the, the Barbara Barry was in that class, and the whole bunch of people like doing their. ripped horn was in that class. Wow. And uh, anyway, um, I'm digressing. When in my, I had no interest really. In musicals whatsoever, and uh, and no knowledge of them. No, I'd never, uh, except in movies, and I didn't think very much of them in movies. Although the numbers often were good, the plots and the dialogue was so stupid, you know. It was just really monumentally dull to be, and uh, because I was. what, on was, what was the turning
1: point for you? I mean, what switched things to where you did have a love of musicals?
2: Well, um, in my graduate uh, career as a director, I was offered a chance to direct. We never, in the drama department in my six years there, never did a musical, not one. But there was an independent like sorority or something that had sponsored the annual college musical. And uh, it, it paid a fee for directing. So, and it was be, would be my first income from directing. So I, I signed on to do it. And the scripts were all, and songs submitted by different students. And I looked at this and I thought, oh my God, this is, terrible. I can't do this. I, I, I could do this better myself." And so I started, and then I contacted this art student who played the piano for the Curtain Club sometime, Harvey Schmidt. I said, would you like to write this? And uh, we have to finish it, write it in three weeks, and then get it on three weeks after that. And, and I'll share the royalty with you. And he said, sure. And of course, he knew a lot about musicals. He was, he was uh, devoted uh, to them. But uh, and he helped guide me. But then, so we we put this together, and it was like an incredible hit. Uh, it was in the Hog Auditorium, which was like almost a thousand seats, and they it's the three performances only. Which is typical of college. And they they sold out, I think after a first preview, sold out the complete thing, all the seats, and then they sold out the aisles, and then they opened the windows at the side of the auditorium, and people would gather outside the windows. And other people would tell them what was happening and so forth. It was a and I thought, well, Jesus, this is this is news to me. And also it was hot. The relationship between the stage and the audience was more, was hotter than anything that we were doing in the drama department. So I thought, well, I didn't think that much of it. I thought, but gee, it, it when that kind of thing happens, you don't just forget it, you know no, what I mean sure not. So now I was and then I was drafted into the service in the Korean War, and later Harvey was drafted, and uh, we were in two different outposts, and we corresponded and began writing songs for fun together. And uh, it, and then at some point, I think maybe when I started working on on this Rostan play, which was, uh, became the Fantastics, at some point I, I my idol and my idea was and is of the theater to do to be to aim at Shakespeare Mm -hmm. not at any musicals you know and to do not only the the magic of music but linguistic magic not only lyrics but in a magical way that that's almost forgotten these days that the secret power and anyway uh and then I realized that this that in my time, the this these conventions uh, elaborate language more than what would be like realistic, you know? And uh, there was a send up years ago from a great review called uh, Beyond the Fringe. Yes. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Oh, yeah, when they, they do a send up of Shakespeare and uh, and when they do the sword fight, instead of doing like what people really would do if they're stabbed, go, oh, oh shit. Oh, uh, what they did was they stabbed, he says, oh, now is cold steel twixt gut and bladder interposed, which is not the way people talk when you get, but it's true that. Shakespeare, if you study it and learn it, and the best place to learn it is a series of like nine, uh, videos with the, the British national theater with all stars as the students, mm. uh, called acting Shakespeare. You probably know that. Too. Yes, I do. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's brilliant thing. John Barton, I believe it's the man's name who teaches it. Uh, and, uh, Judy Dench and Ben Kingsley and yada yada yada. Anyway, um, but the first lesson they have is how do you take realistic emotions and keep them real and make them real for the audience, and yet in this flowery language that the audience is not used to, and uh, that's that, that's the trick. Anyway, uh, I'm. I wander a field. No,
1: I, I'm right there with you, and so is everyone else. Mm. Uh, I want to ask you, I mean, when you and Harvey started working together, what was your process in terms of the way that you worked? I mean, were there specific hours that you would get together to write, or how did all that come together?
2: Well, we didn't have much time together at all. Uh, and uh, as I we didn't know that there was any other way to write other than lyrics first, had no clue, never thought of that, what a revolutionary idea. And uh, so I would just write on the script and then I'd write out lyrics and send them to Harvey and he'd work on them and then we'd get together after a few days and get with our choreographer, good old Persis Hopkins, (laughs) and uh, recently passed away. And and we would put it on the stage, you know? And uh, get another piece and put it on the stage. And and it, it was very uh, alive. And uh, some of, you know, some of the writing was was fun. Uh, I actually and found was, it was, right. that,
1: was that the case on all of your uh, works together or did it ever, well, were, there, were there any variations? That
2: was the case on, there and then, as a, when we were in the service writing songs, uh, that was the case. And then, when we came to New York, they uh, we, we we had an early version of the opening song for uh for El Gallo to open the show, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it began follow along with me, come come on along. Back to a world that is easy and slow. Follow along with me, follow the song with me. Let's go see how it was long ago. We'll go riding down the chalky canyons of a dream, floating beneath the rippling blueness of a phantom stream. Go back beyond the smart of you, Uh, back to uh, that childlike part of you, back beyond the smart of you. (laughs) Oh, Uh, back where your dreams are fancy free. We had that, and um, I, I kind of realized that back to the childlike part of you was getting a bit twee, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and uh, um, but Harvey, meanwhile, was writing tunes all the time. Harvey could not stop writing tunes any more than he could stop going to the bathroom or something, it was just like it was there He's there, and it remained there until his last few years when it was understandable but tragic to, to me that it was it stopped pouring out you know mm. it had been this well of beauty and mystery but anyway uh he, he had this melody that he was kept playing we were all uh, with the two other guys shared an apartment on the west side, and um, uh, I heard it, and I thought, Jesus, that is such a interesting melody and everything. And I thought, well, maybe that maybe that might fit as an opening number instead of coming along with me and uh, so I wrote a lyric to it called Try to Remember, which Harvey liked, and we played it for a few friends, and they liked it. And so that, that was the first song we wrote that was uh, music first, and then later on, uh, particularly like at some point after 15, 20 years, almost everything was music first, you know? Or sometimes mm-hmm. title first. We read in the New York Times uh, that um, uh, My Fair Lady guys were saying sometimes they just start with a title and um, and then the, the composer, Low, learner Low, Fritz Low, would do music and then Uh, Alan J. Lerner would do a lyric. And so we'd start doing that. uh, My is Over was such a song. It was just uh, my is Over with love. And that was it. That was all. And then Harvey wrote the melody. And then I wrote the lyric, which is very, very tricky and hard to do. Because... uh, It's only like three courses, and they're four lines each. There's no bridge, and you would think it's be simple, but the ones that seem simple are very often the lines.
1: ones. Well, I was
2: especially if the if the key rhyme with love, uh, and love is a a bitch to rhyme. You know, you got you got your glove, you got love this. And in certain current musicals, you've got your shove, uh, but uh, I don't think, anyway.
1: Well, I want to talk a little bit about the collaborative process. Um, There was an alchemy with the two of you coming together to create these uh, great pieces of work and art, uh, and yet 60-plus years, the two of you worked together. Uh, there are marriages that don't last that long.
2: What was the secret? I know, I've had a couple of them. (laughs) Go ahead. Uh,
1: But what do you attribute to the fact, I mean, obviously the art was there, but what was it about the collaborative process that inspired both of you to stick together for as long as you did?
2: Well, uh, it's always mysterious. And always, if you answer... You're not sure it's really the right, the truth. But um, I was always really turned on by Harvey's music. And he was always really turned on by my lyrics. And fortunately also by my libretti, my book writing. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, when... The other thing is, we we didn't crowd each other. We a a normal process would be uh, like um, we we would decide to do a a musical. uh, We were invited to do a musical based on Grover's Corners, and uh, we would we met and talked about the basic shape and and about where where the act break comes. By the way, I've written all about a lot about our technique of writing for anybody who's interested and it's available on Amazon under the title of Making Musicals by Tom Jones. And, uh, but um, then was the, the um, where was
1: I? Uh, 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 the collaborative process, uh, Grover's Corners.
2: Oh yes, right. And then, so then we would block out a few things. I think this should be lyrics first. And this, this is an area that we should explore both of us and see what comes up. And this is an area that might well be, be music first. and uh, And then we would split. And Harvey went up to New Hampshire, to the town that was basically that was Grover's Corners was based on, and lived there for a month. And would and uh, ironically, he would go out to the graveyard for inspiration. But only when he, every time he went to the graveyard, he kept thinking of jumping tunes, you know, like. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, anyway, but then more uh, uh, the, the taking that further. When we work on a piece like Colette, we would again do the layout as I'm talking about. and then he would go to live in, in France for six months or a year. And uh, I would stay and we would send things back and forth by mail. And uh, you know and we never had face-to-face arguments because we were never face to face.
1: Well maybe that's the secret right there. Um I want I mean when after the Fantastics open I mean and you know congratulations you will always be in the history books uh for the longest running off-Broadway musical uh and I know
2: uh, y- the, long, the longest running show of any kind
1: of any kind
2: in the you know, in the American theater.
1: That's true. That's true, uh, and and that I don't think will ever be surpassed. I mean, did that kind of success, you know, surprise the two of you? Uh, that and and it's got a new life, which we're going to get to in just a moment.
2: Well, the long, long run is attributable to the quality of the piece and a certain mystery that it contains. Mm-hmm. I believe, but uh, the, the the practical aspect of it uh, really isn't attributable to Harvey and I, but to the producer Laurie Noto, and he was determined that it wouldn't close, and he he wouldn't close it, and so he kept, and then he would eventually. It got nasty sometimes because he he was so shrewd, but he was so shrewd that it was dumb sometimes mm-hmm. uh he we at the Sullivan Street playhouse, where it ran the forty two years, he signed a run of the play contract when it opened, which meant that they could only charge him for rent. For those forty-two years, for what it was in in in, in nineteen sixty, in summer of nineteen sixty, so uh, they were outraged, and they wouldn't do anything to to improve, replace the seats, to get us an air conditioner, to fix the ladies' toilet, and Lori. Said it's it's in it's your fault. I I said, that's where he's like gets we're stupid, mm-hmm. and, but not so stupid because Harvey and I stepped in and we paid for all that. We paid for the air conditioning. We paid for the seating. We paid for the this. We paid for the that. But um, and with some not misgivings because we came to realize that this was becoming a phenomenon, but some. Concern about not letting down and letting the quality get down, you know what I mean? Because the actors can get kind of discouraged when they when they see the producer like screwing in old light bulbs and things like that. (laughs) And he he, it wound up being in the show and uh, acting one of the fathers. And uh, you know to save money and also because he was a ham, and I, I would say he was very good, maybe one of the best, maybe.
1: Well, but I want yeah. to talk about another collaboration, and you have had, uh, both you and Harvey have had a great collaboration with the York Theater uh, in New York uh, for a long time, and I was lucky enough uh, <laughs> to be there when you received the Oscar Hammerstein Award. Uh, great night uh, that that was. Um, how did the relationship with James Morgan and the York Theater begin for you?
2: <clears throat> well, um, of course, the York Theater began with uh, what's her name? Um who who created it and was the artistic director. I and mean, you, you probably remember her name, which I don't. You know. Uh it
1: it escapes me, but I know who you're talking about. Uh,
2: yeah. And, and and Jim was the uh scenic designer for the shows and uh they um uh, they did revivals you know um and um it's strange i i'm smelling a little bit of smoke (laughs) that'll that'll be a great ending to this you know (laughs) (laughs) let's
1: hope not no
2: (laughs) but uh anyway um they, 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 did, did, they asked if they could do a revival, the first revival of 110 in the Shade, which they did. And uh, Harvey and I saw it and liked it. And uh, then later, um, <clears throat> when we had a show close out of town called Colette, they uh, asked if they could do that. And uh, we thought, well, that's a really good idea. It's a chance for us to do some work on it. So, beginning there, uh, doing either sometimes shows from the past, but very often new shows. We had a chance to use the York uh, uh, to to do the things you need to do. You know, like adjust it with the audience.
1: Well, I reached out to James and he couldn't be here today, but he's got a special message for you. Here it is. I'm so excited that Richard Skipper asked me to be part of this tribute to Tom Jones on the opening of The Fantastics in P-Town. I so wish I could be there. Uh, Who knows, by the end of the run, I might be. You never know. But even so, we know it will be The Fantastics, just reimagined for a new audience and what could
2: be better than that? Yeah, so, that's not, I, mean, I wouldn't have not, that's a nice message. But the nicest thing to me about that message is that Jim looks like he's in pretty good health. Yes. Which, which that makes me happy.
1: Yes, he's he's been through the and back uh, lately. Yeah. So uh, I'm thrilled for him as well. And thanks, James, for doing that uh, for us. Uh, so I want to talk about this uh, reimagining Of the Fantastics uh, for a new audience. This is not the first time that this is being uh, done, but it's the second. uh, It's the first time it's being done on the East Coast. So, how did this uh, reimagining come about?
2: Well, um, 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 a gentleman who ran and runs a theater in Flint, Michigan, Michael Yubierish, wrote me a note and said, "Would you possibly consider?" changing the boy and girl or letting us change the boy and girl they thought he said i i think all we need to do is change the ver i mean change the pronouns or whatever you know and uh so i broke back and said well i'm it's an interesting idea but i'm i don't think that that's all that needs to be done i think if, it, if it's going to be done it should be really done like a new creation so he certainly welcomed that idea and uh, throwing ideas back and forth we did a new version uh and uh, uh changed the fathers into the mothers which i really enjoyed doing that was a, the the it's a, based on a play by rostand Mm-hmm. And the 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 two characters that are almost totally taken from their lines and everything, are the fathers. So I never really felt I had a chance to kind of get in with those guys. So um, it's much it's very interesting to have them turn into mothers and to be part of their creation, you know. Uh, and um, there were, and it was a hugely successful. I mean, really, uh. In national publications and so forth, and we were uh, we were offered a thirty-city a, a tour. Uh, but but uh, in the midst of all the creation, there were some things that I felt still needed to be done. So uh, we agreed to hold off on that tour until I did a further adaptation, and then to see if we could agree on the things that were in the further adaptation. And uh, that, that adaptation is here, this, uh, and uh, so we're gonna see how this works and then I'll get back in touch with Michael and we'll, um, we'll see.
1: So uh, are, are you, I'm surprised at the response that this is getting. It's like a whole new, it's a new musical, essentially, but it's the same musical.
2: Yeah, it's very much the same, but it's also very much different where it's different, you know? So it's, uh, but the the whole point of it really is that it's the same. It's the same. Whether you're gay or whether you're straight, if you're young, you can be stupid and fall in love and you can, and you can have fantasies beyond reality, and you can overdo it and overdream and, and whatever, and you could be hurt, and from that hurt, you can grow without a hurt, the heart is hollow, it says in, in Try to Remember. and. Uh, And as El Gallo says at the end, to the audience, there is a curious paradox that no one can explain. Who understands the the secret of the reaping of the grain? Who understands why spring is born out of winter's laboring pain or why we all should die a bit before we grow again? And... uh, Mm -hmm. That, that, that's the seed. That in there is the secret seed, in my opinion, of why The Fantastics has run so long. Because it's, it's a fun story, it's a lovely score, it's romantic, it's a musical, musical thing. You recognize. But underneath it, there is a little subtext going constantly here or there, starting with Try to Remember and going right on through about like Without a Hurt, the Heart is Hollow.
1: Well, it and- gets me every time I see it. Uh, I mean, I, first of all, I applaud you uh, for looking uh, at this through different eyes and being able to be open to that. And I'm sure that I... Uh, if you stick around long enough and you do great work, such as you have, uh, that people are always coming up with new ideas of the way that they want to do things.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You better believe it.
1: (laughs) I have my own thoughts uh, on revisals on Broadway. The word revisal is something that sometimes makes the hair on the back of my head go up. What is your thought about people coming in and reworking what was created by the original creators.
2: Well, um, generally speaking, I I think for a show that's well-established, it's why not, you know, why not? Let them have their head and let them, let it lead where it leads. In the case of Flint, which was such a huge hit, I felt that putting it out it's no longer the same thing as being a uh, another production this would have been the, the premier product the, the new york production they would have had a run in new york and then tour uh and i i didn't um, uh i wasn't agreeable to um to to that because that cha- what we ch- what we change the few things that we change are are uh, structural sometimes uh, for example uh, in his it's it's full of surprises and full of lovely surprises and full of beautiful images and well done and so forth but uh, there are the ba- the basic the- creation of the the theater of the the magic of the theater is gets somewhat lost and uh, and, uh, and and as an example just down the road they the the old actors uh, don't make their entrance from an old Theater trunk, um, but to me that is part of the essential of what's being said here in the fantastic. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, I, if it were another production, not not the not what's going to be the the signature production, I, I would have said go ahead and do that. But uh, in this, I have to say no. You you haven't come up with anything better. They just appear on the side of the stage. You know what I mean. This is a magic moment, and it says something very important that I want to say. Um, I this is these two characters are the only two that I created myself, and then I played the old actor, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, he's so <laughs> he can't see. He can't, he's like, but he still has the illusions and we laugh at them. But then at the end of his first act scene, he gets back in the box and he says to the audience, remember me in light. And that, that has a, and they closed, the mute closes down the lid Of that, and uh, you—that's that's that's gold. That's too powerful. It it says what I want to say, and it's theatrically breathtaking. Why screw with it? You know. And uh,
1: so, did you get a chance to see the production in Flint?
2: Only what they what they filmed, Mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, uh, Harvey's. Literary Representative Dan Shaheen uh, was very important to all this. He's, he's mine now, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I went to see it, and they brought back report. But for me, it was um, it was I, I was so great. I was so thrilled that it was just like getting people like it was like a if we had acted and been able to act at that moment, we could have like filled up so many theaters because it was hot, it was a hot item. That's and no, believe that's me, I haven't been a hot item for a long time.
1: You have not stopped being a hot item for a long. Well, time. Uh,
2: welcome to reality. <laughs> I mean, I have a hard time getting not only getting people to read my new scripts but to even re- respond to a letter where I submit them. I mean, that, that's the reality. Even at this point. Even, especially at this point, because running so long is not a, a positive thing. Running so long means that you're old and you're the, uh, you're not the crest of the wave. You know what I mean?
1: Well, you know, I've always, you know, when I was a young kid, uh, growing up in South Carolina, I had a great mentor, and she instilled in me the importance of what's gone before me. Uh, And she said, every time I stepped on stage or in front of a camera, I am carrying the mantle of every great artist that's gone before me, and it's up to me to keep that mantle held high. And I still believe that to this day, and I I have such a reverence, Tom, I I mean, for me to sit down and talk with you today is a great honor for me, because I have been such a fan of your work and your works. I call it celebrating your body of worth, because you have given so much uh, to the world of music and theater, and it's still very much a part of our lives today, so the chance, the fact that I get a chance to say thank you, uh, means the world to me.
2: Well, thank you. That is wonderful. I want to be sure not forget one thing. I want to tell people we have online, a, an absolute. I don't know if you've seen, have you seen our web. Page? Oh, I've
1: got it on the screen right now. It's it, uh, it's
2: it's really. It imp- is
1: amazing. I, Who did your website? Because I want to give them a shout out because they've done a phenomenal job
2: yeah it's uh well dan was very important and then the woman who did it is like a uh, assistant conductor on some broadway musical i'm um, maybe uh is chicago still running oh uh,
1: yes it's still running
2: <laughs>
1: those guys not as long amazing. as the fantastics but it's still running <laughs> yeah
2: but uh yeah it's uh what we're we talking i mean i'm losing it here but uh uh, what were we talking about? the we your talking? website. Oh, the website, yeah. Because it has not only, it says Jones and Schmidt and Jones and Schmidt and under Harvey's thing, under all of them there's lots of songs that people haven't heard that we're singing and other people are singing. And uh, uh, then under Harvey's, there's all of these 200 or so paintings and drawings Including so. all of the Ben Bagley old ladies, old showgirls with sagging tits, you know, and uh, just uh, and and the lipstick and and the kind of like glorious. It's like their version, Harvey's version of the old actor in a way. You know, you don't give up.
1: You don't give up. And it's on the screen. And everybody, if you get a chance, uh, check out this uh, website. It's amazing. And I also want to give a shout out. Uh, I've got a couple of photographs that I want to show here. Uh, These are uh, some photographs that I found online. And uh, I want to take this down for just a moment so the people can see. Is this
2: from P-Town?
1: This is from Uh, P-Town. So uh, uh, Bob Tucker if you happen to be watching uh i was on his twitter page and on his website and i saw these photos so i and his got his photo credit there so i hope he doesn't mind uh but congratulations bob because the photographs are phenomenal and i'd love to have you come on the show sometime uh here's the artwork for the new fantastics in provincetown uh here's the cast uh congratulations I'm hearing great things and I'm gonna see it in a couple of weeks I can't wait
2: and I have to wait till I see a video I unfortunately my health is such that I don't go anywhere except to the doctor
1: well uh, I know what that's like uh, it seems like I spend more time at the doctors myself than anything else uh, but anyway I want to thank you Tom um, and I want to give a huge shout out to Sam. Because Sam has been so hands-on with me, with making this happen today. And as I said, this is a great honor. I'm going to say my closing remarks, Tom. And then I'm going to give it over to you and let you have the final word. And then I'm going to end with one of your songs, one of my favorite versions of one of your songs. I hope it's one of your favorites too. Uh, And that's how we will end today with your music. Um, I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Uh, If you get a chance, uh, this production is going to be playing uh, through uh, the rest of August in Provincetown. Uh, Go to the Provincetown Theater uh, and get information and tell them I sent you. (laughs) I also end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Pick up the phone and call someone today that you haven't spoken to in a long time and let them know that they've made a difference in your life. And trust me, if you do so, they'll make a difference in their life as well. I have a dear friend. He says, We're all in the same storm, but we're in different size boats. And I always say, I don't care what size boat you're on, as long as you have a skipper. By Your Side. <laughs> now, Tom, I'm turning it over to you. You've got the final word. And when you okay. say goodbye, uh, your music will begin to play. Thank you okay. for being here, and it's all yours.
2: Okay. Well, first of all, I want to mention about Sam Jones, my son, one of my sons. When he was three and a half years old, um, he um, we did our first tour of, of, of the Fantastics in Japan, and we rehearsed in New York and did a run-through. And uh, he was the only person in the audience in the theater. And when it was over, he was sitting like this. And I said, Sam, what's the matter? And he said, I'm worried about act two. And uh, (laughs) I said, so am I, Sam. And then last, I know he's going to do music. This is the last song that Harvey and I will have written together. Uh, A tune that Harvey wrote that's beautiful. We always wanted to find the lyric. Never could, but finally I did after Harvey passed away. So it's real short, and uh, it's a beautiful melody, but I, I can't sing. So anyway, it goes like this. Don't look for me here, not here by this marker. Don't look for me here, not under this mound. Just open your eyes and look all around you just open your heart and i will be found that bird in the sky that flies by you singing that soft summer breeze that trembles the trees those cold winter nights when stars start to sparkle they're all Part of me, and I'm part of these. That laughter you share, I'm part of that laughter. Those tears that you shed, I'm part of them too. Don't look for me here, not here in this graveyard. How can I be dead? When I'm part of you, I'm part of you.
4: to whisper, see how the leaves go streaming by, smell how the velvet rain is falling out where the fields are warm. inside and stay now Soon it's gonna rain I can see it Soon it's gonna rain I can tell Soon it's gonna rain What are we gonna do? Soon it's gonna rain I can feel it Soon it's gonna rain Soon it's gonna rain